leave the pain behind and lead with a new lens, right? If, you know, if we can in between there, learn how to truly identify and describe our emotions. Next time somebody asks you how you are and you say fine, know that you've just given the most ambiguous answer you could possibly give. Welcome to the podcast, Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time. I am your host, Jenny Diltz, and I help people convert their grief into growth in their own way and in their own time. This is a podcast where we dive deeply into the stories that make us who we are and show us who we can become. Together, we share real-life experiences of growth through our grief. I can be found at grievingcoach.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss exclusive interviews and some of my own tidbits and insights on grief. All right. Today's guest is Trisha Perido, and Trisha is passionate about helping others find recovery and live freely. She is a recovery lifestyle enthusiast, speaker, and writer. She is a nationally certified life coach, an international master addiction specialist, and a professional life interventionist with a psych degree in process behavioral and chemical addiction, who loves to help change lives. As a master life interventionist, Trisha is ever committed to serving her clients worldwide to find the emotional intelligence they need to conquer their life challenges. As an active business owner of a thriving coaching practice, Turning Leaves Recovery, Life and Wellness Coaching, with courses seated in evidence-based practices, she not only teaches her clients how to live the life they desire, how to evolve and live free, but she also teaches those that aspire to become professional coaches how to do so, passionately and professionally. Trisha, thank you so much for being with us today. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I just love spending time with you. So this is going to be an awesome start to my day. Yay. And I Yay. love your passion and the work that you're doing to um to help others transform their lives and find true and lasting recovery. Thank you. You know, I just think I, I just love being able to like visit different spaces because people hear recovery and they go immediately to you know, the societal image of addiction mm-hmm. and, and how, you know, and, and so they go directly to the down, the out, the ill, the poorly functioning and the people that need to be removed from their environment and taken away someplace to be fixed. <laughs> and, and so, which is sure that's, that is one population of people that need, you know, that, that benefit from a recovery journey. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's just so many different populations out there. Um, and I love, thank you so much for highlighting that, you know, I, I focus on process behavioral and chemical addiction because the process and the behavioral is, is really, you know, like that nitty gritty root cause, but it's also stuff that people struggle with that they don't realize they could benefit from a recovery journey to, move away from it instead of just swapping it out for something else and something else and something else constantly being held hostage. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about today, but anyway, thank you for highlighting that because I just find it to be so important that, you know, we can, you know, broaden these perspectives, right? And I'm going to run with it. Um, You brought it up. So why not? Right. Um, So yeah, often we do think of when we hear recovery, we think of the the very narrow group of people mm-hmm. who aren't necessarily functioning very well in their lives. But recovery can mean so much more. So how would somebody even recognize whether they have addictive behaviors or habits or running away from something? Well, gosh, I could get as simple as saying, if you have a habit, you, you have, <laughs> you have behavioral addictions because think about it, right? Like that regimented, very, you know, rigid way of living. Um, you know, when, when, when we can't get to that 6am spin class, like our whole day falls apart and crumbles and our attitude and behaviors and everything just changed to negative, et cetera. That's the same an alcoholic who can't get their hands on a bottle, right? Like it's no different. 
And, and I know y'all are going, ah, but it is right. Like that's my outlet. That's my release. Well, guess what? Alcohol is an outlet and release for somebody who relies on it to bring them peace, joy, comfort, and relief. So it's no different that 6 a.m. spin class you rely on to bring you something, right? Peace, joy, comfort, relief, motivation, energy, weight loss, whatever it is, right? So you're relying on something outside of you to, to, to change, alter, or improve, or whatever about you. So if we could just learn to live without habits in general, right? Things get fixed. We need to create lifestyles. Um, so when, when you rely on something outside of you, that's, you know, being in an external locus of control position. So if you, if you say, um, you know, you make me so happy, no wrong answer. I allow myself to experience happiness and joy when I'm in your presence because I can feel your energy and it serves me, right? Like you can't make me anything. I get to choose, right? I could choose to really despise being in your space. Like it's it's all up to me. This is my life. It gets to look, feel, be however I want it to. Yes. I get to choose. So what happens is, you know, we, you know, let me see if I can find a little simpler one, right? Like, so shopping, right? Shopping addiction. If every time you go to Target, you go in for three things and you come out with 25 that weren't on your list, right? You have an impulse control issue, which is really the same as somebody that's like, ooh, give me sugar, give me sugar, give me sugar, right? Like, ooh, this bright, shiny thing is going to fix me. If I just could get the right blazer, I'd feel confident. No, right? So, I mean, there's just so many different scenarios the people-pleasing codependency, if only I could be everything for everybody, then I would be, I would be able to see myself as being worthy, value, validated, whatever. No, like quit, quit relying on things outside of you. Put that way, I think everybody who experiences this human journey struggles Condition? with yeah. addiction and... <laughs> and re and addictive behaviors absolutely that's huh it's it, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it's definitely a different perspective than we're normally taught mm -hmm. and it makes a lot of sense too because nobody yeah. can control us we're the only ones that can choose our attitude our feelings our actions our thoughts our behaviors first thing i the first thing um well in the first realm of what of the work that we do and and don't get me wrong because i am in my work all day every day for me first and foremost mm. right like i eat sleep breathe my evolve program um, and, and am often found in it, even though I've been doing it, creating it, building it right. Like for 10 years, um, I I've also been, you know, walking with others for eight years in the journey and watching the results. So, you know, it's not necessarily like, you know, like society, here's the other part, the recovery part, right. The, uh, we think, oh, we're just going to dive in and, and, and we're going to go to this 30 day treatment, 45 day treatment, whatever. And they're going to come back out fixed. No, 30 days is an undoing 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 10 years of conditioned way of being. Mm -hmm. So there's that, right? So if I go you know, back to this, right? Emotional intelligence is not an innate skill set that we possess. It has to be learned. So that very first piece that we start with is is really getting to know ourselves. What do we think, hear, feel, say, and believe? And it's mm -hmm. about us inside first, right? Like what's going on in here? How am I receiving my environment? How do I hear other people? How do I hear what I say to myself? Why do I say to myself what I say? Mm -hmm. You know, if you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, that looks terrible. Why? Why do you see it that way? Like, yeah. 
but you know, like get more specific. People aren't, you know, specific enough. Like, oh, I don't, you know, I, I feel better when my waistline is accentuated or I feel better when my waistline isn't accentuated. Okay, cool. Right. Like that's fine. It doesn't mean that you're fat or you're, you know, it's all we get to choose. Right. And so what is the, what is the better way or how would I prefer it to sound so that we can make those little micro shifts, if you will. Yeah. I see so many parallels with grief. Oh yeah. Um, because grief is often perceived as the dark, the scary, the somber, the sadness, the tears, the anger, whatever. I can't go on. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more to grief. And also mm-hmm. the way we deal with grief depends on our perspective of grief, our stories of grief, what we've been taught. It's a lot of what's going on here. In our, okay, in our- so here's a case, Yeah. right? Think about somebody that's withdrawing, right? Like, oh, and it's very much like grief. Right. Like, and I remember I, I I actually shed some tears on my last day of ever having alcohol. Right. Like I, I straight up had, I shed some tears, but um, <laughs> it had been in my life for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And, and so whatever, right. I shed some tears, but I was ready. So here's the thing is, you know, you think about, and, and if you've, you know, if you're that person, right. Whether it's sugar or it's, it's opiates, or it's alcohol, or it's, you know, impulsive shopping, or it's the loss of a being, like you feel like you can't go on, right? I'm not, I can't do it. I can't do it. Like it hurts too much. It's too painful. I'm uncomfortable. I have restless leg. I have, you know, all of these things, right? Like I'm nauseous. I'm shaking, you know, yada, yada, right? Sure. With some things, alcohol and, and benzodiazepines, they are risky for sure. We want to have, you know, a medical professional there helping us monitor because those are the two things that, yes, can be life-threatening when you detox from them. Um, so no, opiates aren't. Like, you're not going to die. Just put them down. Um, and and you're not going to die <laughs> if you stop using meth or marijuana or, you know, whatever, right? Like, so, but we feel like we're going to, just like when we lose a person, I can't go on. I, I'm, I'm, you know, it's too uncomfortable. It's too painful. It's going to be too lonely. How will I ever get through, you know, the hard things in life? How will I ever get through? Right. And again, it doesn't matter if it's a person, if it's a substance, if it's a behavior, if it's a habit, you know, um, and, and so we have this like full on attachment to it and we don't know how to release. And, And the issue is, is we just, we have to choose, like, I can't, or I can, it's not going to be easy, but I can. And I really want to see what it's like on the other side, or I'm determined, right? So so with grief, and this is the way I look at it, right? I lost, I lost a lot of people really young in my life. And I, you know, just had a, a lot of that was, you know, how would they, if, you know, if I believe, right, my spirituality, that if I believe at all, that I'm being watched over, mm-hmm. right? Like how how mortifying for those that have left my life to see me just stop living and crumble, right? Like I, I've got to keep doing this, right? So that they see me continue living. So they see me achieve. So they see me, you know, excel. Um, but so, you know, sitting in and moving through that uncomfortable, it could take years, right? Like it took me yeah. years to heal from the, you know, from my father being killed in an accident when I was 12, right? Like that took years. I was adolescent, still in my limbic system, right? Like I didn't have the, you know, frontal lobe and blah, 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 right? It took me years to heal from sexual assault and rape, numerous of them. That took me years, um, it, healing from anorexia, body dysmorphia, and, and, you know, other, other issues, right? Like that's, that's a long, right? Like that's a long process. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you, you kind of have to look at that. Like, what is that grieving process? Right. Just like you said, right. Yeah. Like it's different, but we can do it. We can make it through, but we have to be willing to sit in and move through the uncomfortable or lean in and go for the ride. <laughs> yeah. 
like a roller coaster. That's a lot of loss that you've experienced. Oh, that was just a few. <laughs> that um, was just a few, but yes, there's there's a lot. Is that what led you to the experiences of choosing addictive behaviors? I would say it's a piece of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, in, in hindsight, right. In my, in my newly found, I wouldn't say new, but whatever the last decade of, of, you know, tapping into my intuitive space, um, you know, I can look back and I can, you know, remember at, at, at birth, I was born with these control needs, right? Perfectionism, um, things like that. So that was, that's like innately part of me. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I was born that way, reading, writing, doing arithmetic, playing chess by the age of four, right? Like, boom, hit the ground running. Like I got to keep up with my older siblings, you know, I all these things. But in the same respect, I also didn't, I also inside me inside my being right like never really felt heard seen valued or 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 wanted right like I felt very dismissed and disposable and then you know there's some reason for that you know knowing energetically knowing the things that were going on you know before I actually came into the world like energetically while I was in my mother's womb right because I my dad that raised me wasn't biologically my father and he knew that um and, and so, you know, like there is, there are things happening for me in my life before I even came. And then, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, my dad that raised me, he really struggled with, you know, substance abuse, alcoholism and, um, and drug use. And, and so, you know, there was some, you know, volatility there. So there's a lot of areas of my life where, yes, I, you know, I played out my, my parental stories, mm-hmm. you know, I played out my mom's story. I played out you know, that, you know, that role of what was modeled for me, but I also learned from, from him, right. I remember as at six, seven years old, asking for, for my, for my mom, if she would put a little wine in my, in my seven up at dinner, I would ask to sit in the big church on communion Sunday. Mm. People are like, okay, no big deal. They served real wine in the big church and grape juice and the kids, right. I always wanted to go to the big church for communion. Um, I, knowing what I know now, I know why, right? Yeah. Like my little, my little attic brain was like, they got wine, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so it was really modeled for me. So when my dad was killed, I, I mean, and there were other, there were other big traumas in there. You know, I saw him get, you know, struck by lightning when I was four. I mean, he survived clearly because he didn't die till I was 12, but I, you know, so there were a lot of things. My parents separated um, when I was in fifth grade, you know, like yep, take me, you know, like pack me up and move me for three months while my dad was in rehab. But then I went to live, right? And the teenagers there were doing different things, right? Like people were drinking and smoking already in the, you know. And so when my dad was killed a year later, um, you know, I was like at the funeral and I think, everybody's I'm looking around and everybody's drinking and smoking and they're like able to smile and talk. So, you know, like it kind of was on for me at that point because it worked, right? Like it worked, you know, I, I had more than a few sips and, and it, and it worked. Um, so yeah, it, you know, it's why I held on to it. It's why, you know, again, when I went through domestic violence, sexual assault, you know, all of those things, like it was what I knew, right? Like, cause at yeah. 12, I realized, okay, yeah, this works in trauma. Like it, gives me some, you know, like happy juice. Um, and so sure. And, and then it also, you know, helped with social anxiety and, you know, just, just different things. So, you know, through, through junior high and high school, like it, it played a big role. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you learn that, that, that those behaviors weren't serving you well anymore? Oh, that was, you know, that was kind of a really long journey. I'd say, you know, my, my recovery journey or my recovery exploration (laughs) probably started, um, you know, around 
I started playing with it probably around 19, um, 20. But, you know, just, just little things ready to heal and repair along the way. So I've kind of been in this like recovery journey for some time, but it really didn't start. Um, well, no, yeah, probably around 1920, right? Like I started like realizing like, mm, you know, like I need to keep this in a really mellow, in a really mellow space. But, but honestly, my, my relationship with alcohol got put into that control space where I had to always control it because I was a young single parent. Um, so if I didn't have him though, like I could go party <laughs> and then, you know, like it would be burnt back to, you. um, so, you know, but I'd say about 25. So for about the last 27 years, like I've really been on this, like, you know, recovery journey, starting with my relationship with food. Right. And really, you know, grieving that, that, you know, the way that, <laughs> The way that I, you know, I, I was doing it that was modeled for me that, you know, like didn't serve me um, and like really having to create a different relationship with food altogether, mm -hmm. right? Um, because if you, if you don't really understand like body dysmorphia or body image issues, when, you know, when it, when it comes down to what you actually see in the, in the, in the reflection, right? Like it's, it's a tough thing, right? Like, cause if you eat, if you eat some cake and you look in the mirror and suddenly there's 20 more pounds, right? Like there's something amiss right there, right? Like there's something not firing, right? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of training that, you know, you, you know, really have to like work through and it's something you have to learn to live with. So that's been my longest journey is my relationship with food and um, and the reflection in the mirror and, and, and things like that. Um, you know, and, and alcohol was, you know, yes, diagnosably still could be considered an alcoholic, but, you know, it was really, you know, very high functioning. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, what happened for me though, was, you know, I had a lot of near death experiences of my own. So I had, you know, I have my physical body is, is built so that it attacks itself. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so from, you know, the age of 18 on, like my physical body, like started attacking itself. And, and anyway, it's like, that's a really long journey story, but, um, you know, it just, I spent a lot of time in and out of the hospital, just, you know, with, with things and, and, no, you know, things have come a long way since then. So we know a lot more. Um, and, and so, but, so having a hysterectomy, a full hysterectomy at 29, like, you know, like everything gone out, you know, really it, it changed me hormonally um, and, and, you know, raising five kids. And then as they started to grow and, 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 and move out of the house in my, you know, my late thirties, it, it, it was, it was devastating and it was hard. And somewhere along the line, I developed generalized anxiety disorder with panic, right? Okay. Like I couldn't be a passenger in a car. And, and so I had a medical professional who prescribed me Xanax, um, who knew I was a daily drinker and yes, I'm grown up and I know that you're not supposed to mix it. And I wasn't mixing it. I wasn't like, Ooh, let's make this high better. Right. I wasn't seeking an elevated high. I was <laughs> looking to get rid of anxiety Right. But I was still a low level daily drinker. But what happened was, and when I say low level, it was three to six cores lights a day. Right. Um, but for as long as I had been drinking, that was very little. Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't, you know, cognitively, I wasn't altered. I didn't drive a car because, you know, anyway, all of those things. But so what I know now scientifically is that the combination of the two of those I was prescribed them over the course of five years, right? Which also should have never happened. They're, they're very um, tolerant based. So I never really abused them. I always stayed within, right? My little prescribed amount, um, 0.5 twice a day, you know, or, you know, as needed, it actually was, but I would take, you know, two a day. But so quietly behind the scenes, my, my physical body 
started building these tolerances. And so my alcohol consumption would get, got more and more and more, but it was so gradual over that five-year period of time. Like it wasn't even noticeable until it was because I couldn't stop. Mm. I couldn't stop. I couldn't not drink. And so I found myself in this space where it was like maintenance drinking and it was just no fun. And I didn't like it. And I wasn't in control because remember back that four-year-old control needs perfectionism. I was no longer in control over my physical body. And I was like, oh no, this is done. Right. Because every time my drinking would get out of control, because remember, I've been drinking consistently since I was 12. Every time it got out of control, I was always, you know, able to pull myself up by the bootstraps, you know, put it down for six months, three years, a couple, you know, one time, you know, like I was always able to like do what I needed to do. Uh-huh. Not to not let it take over my life. Yeah. Right. Like I didn't want that. I was, you know, I had alcoholism all around me growing up. And so it was like, not going to, I wasn't going to let it affect me that way. Although I was technically an alcoholic, right? Like drank every day, but I never allowed myself, you know, so I was, you know, kept really good control of it. And so when I couldn't control it at 43 and I couldn't stop, cause even my, you know, my husband said, why now? I'm like, I can't, I just can't do it on my own. Like I've been trying right? Like it's super uncomfortable. It's super hard. Like I feel unsafe. I feel my liver working at night when I'm going to sleep. My blood pressure is off the charts, you know? And, and I, I, I was, I literally could feel my heart beating when I would try to sleep. Right. Like I knew. So for me, it was not, I'm not going out this way. I have grand grandbabies to watch grow up. Right. I got kids that still need to get married. All of that. Uh Uh-huh. So anyway, that was probably way more than you asked. Yeah. No, it's good though, because it gives context of where you, where you're coming from and what your journey is. Right. So in talking with another person who is a recovery coach, she says that her grief comes from like the loss of her best friend, um, her alcohol friend. Mm-hmm. Um, did you experience that too? Yes. Yes. Um, it was very surreal. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I had to learn how to open the refrigerator, right? There were the phantom reach, right? For the, for, again, conditioned way of being open the refrigerator reach I would be sitting in the backyard by the pool and I would reach over right for the can uh-huh. <laughs> it wasn't there so yeah I mean it, it it was it was my companion I you know I was I was afraid um or I grieved what I thought made me more fun I grieved what I thought was you know my my um my calming, my creativity, right? Uh-huh. Like I never created anything or built anything without, you know, without, uh, you know, a 12 pack sitting there, right? Like I, and for people that know me, no, like I will, I'll, I'll get down with the best of them. I, you know, at the beginning of COVID I ripped out a linen closet and rebuilt it and restructured it into what I wanted it to be and did every screw, nail, et cetera, all by myself because I wanted to do a project. But at the beginning, I, I I couldn't even fathom, like I couldn't even oof, like make my brain work to put something like that together because I was so conditioned to do it in an intoxicated state, mm. albeit not drunk, but still intoxicated. Yeah. Right. Like people think like, well, I'm not a drunk. I don't need recovery. You don't have to be a drunk to, to benefit from a recovery journey. Right. Like you just need to change your relationship with alcohol. And if it has an emotional purpose, it's inappropriate. Nice. Right. And I think that can go for any substance, any addiction, any behavior, any, like you said, external source. Yeah. Yeah. If you get, if you get, if there's an emotional purpose for, we're eating an apple, right? Like we don't want there to be an emotional purpose. Now that's kind of an extreme, but, but you know what? You can eat too many apples, right? Like I would venture to say it's not the apple, it's the sugar, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? 
Yeah. Sugar. So we just, it's not what it's for. Food is fuel. Uh huh. Yeah. You mentioned um, in emotional intelligence and how it's not an innate talent. Tell us more about that. Oh, I know, right? Like I always thought like I was so emotionally, you know, like in tune, right? Like, I, oh, I got this. But, but if we think about it and if we really dive in and we think like as, a, you know, as a child, you know, we're, we're definitely born in the external locus of control position that I've been talking about, right? Like mm -hmm. we cry, we get a bottle. We were, you know, we're reliant on somebody else to feed us, change our diaper, teach us how to do things, et cetera. And our parental role is to teach that child how to become what? A self-sufficient, highly functioning young adult, right? Like, right. and, and so we go, okay, so what was, what were my parents leading by? Right. So I talked a little bit about that, that, you know, learning about what we hear, see, see, hear feel and believe blah, 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 tongue twister. Right. But, but I didn't talk about, you know, our ability to get centered and grounded in any moment. Right. Like, so we're very knee jerk and reactive. We're very instant gratification. And, and this is, this is operating from, you know, our old brain. It's not bringing in any of that, you know, logic, rationale and reasoning mind. And, and that, cause that doesn't even come until later in life, that part of our brain. So this is part of the reasons why it's not an innate talent, because we have to learn how to use our frontal lobe with our, what our fight or flight, our, you know, reactive mind, our, our old brain, right. That says, I, I need what I need when I need it. And I want it now, right. Like, mm -hmm. Fix it, make it better. You know, same thing with text messages, same thing with, you know, oh, you know, got to get back to people or, you know, just saying yes without even, you know, thinking about it. Right. Like, so we need to get centered and grounded in any moment. And, and that means, you know, <laughs> we have to have some cognitive skill sets, tools, psychological tactics that we can rely on because when we're driving our car and somebody cuts us off, like we can't go into downward dog or a meditation, right? So we need to do that. Yeah. So, you know, if we're talking about emotional intelligence, right? It's, it's not impulsive. It's not knee jerk. It's not reactive. So we have to, you know, really bring that in. And I'm not going through the definition of emotional intelligence, but I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting what actually allows it to, to come to fruition because I want to be able to give you both and not have to have, two large segments, right? Mm -hmm. um, because most people are like, oh crap, I need all of that, right? Um, so we need to not rely on things outside of us. Um, we need to not be knee-jerk reactive. We need to be responsive in all things that we do, right? We want to, we want to, um, we want to be able to, you know, be internally determinant right? Like, mm -hmm. this is what I want. This is my life. It gets to look, feel, be however I want it to. I, I'm not going to rely on any of those things, right. right? Like outside things. So we have to be mindful and willing um, to do that, right? So some of the things we need, like boundaries, okay? People think of boundaries as a hard, fast stop. It's mainstream USA jargon. That's what a boundary is. Think about a goat. You put a goat in a boundary system, right? To eat is what we do. We set them up. If that boundary system wasn't bendable, flexible, pliable, movable, right? Like able to go in other places, like that goat's starving to death. So, <laughs> so boundaries for, for, for me and for, in my practice and what I teach is, is a filtration system that is, that consists of, you know, four different filtration systems. So you've got your external You've got your internal filtration system, right? So now you're controlling what you let in. How am I hearing it? How am I seeing it? How am I experiencing it? Is it serving me? Is it more for that person, right? Like, what do I need to leave out there? That's all about them. Why am uh -huh. I taking it personal? Those kinds of things, right? And so, of course, we got to bring in a temporal boundary, the filtration system that allows us to protect our emotions. And then, you know, the physical one, right? 
So then those limits and limitations that we need are the hard, fast stops. And if you look that up by definition in the dictionary, that's what limits and limitations are, right? That point of no return, that, that point where we knew we're going to fall off the cliff, whatever it is, like we need to back those, right? Yeah. So tactics of assertiveness, assertiveness is, is not, you know, this super blunt, straightforward, right? It's open, honest, genuine, transparent, and authentic communication at all times, right? But in a, in a delivery system, right? So we have to know how we're handling ourselves, how we're hearing, what's the resolution, like to conflict. But if we're assertive, we're just open, honest, genuine, transparent, and authentic at all times. So we're not, you know, being, stepping into our stance of a judger, well, I, I'd encourage everybody to observe themselves and see how often do you step into that judging stance about somebody, something, whatever, outside of you, mm-hmm. right? Instead of being in the stance of a learner where we can actually invite in inquiry, curiosity, acceptance, right? Because if this is my life too, and it gets to look, feel, be however I want it to, that person over there that's different from me, like it's their life too. It's to look, feel, be however they want it to. Mm-hmm. I don't have to agree to it. I don't have to go to their side. I just have to accept that they get to choose for themselves, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 so this is, you know, this is where all of that getting effective and doing what works comes to play. But we have to have distress tolerance. Right. Somebody cuts you off. What is your, you know, what's your first thought? Flip them a bird. That's not distress tolerance. Right. right? That's an external locus of control and allowing somebody to take you out of your peace. Uh-huh. It's giving them your pow- the power. Yeah. Right. So we need to, we need to have effective self-soothing tactics and self-soothing isn't Ben and Jerry's. Self-soothing isn't happy hour. Mm-hmm. Right. So that way we can figure out and learn how to improve our experiences, one experience at a time. And and I'll leave you with this because I could go on for hours about it. Right. But we have to learn how to leave the pain behind and lead with a new lens. Right. If, you know, if we can in between there, learn how to truly identify and describe our emotions. Next time somebody asks you how you are and you say, fine, know that you just given the most ambiguous answer you could possibly give. Yeah. If you don't know what I mean, look up the word fine in the dictionary and look at the polar opposite spectrum, right? Like a fine, fragile, broken piece of bleached hair or a fine gemstone that came from the center of the planet, right? Like, boom, polar opposites, right? So you also have to learn how to be able to to visualize letting things go so that we can regulate our emotions. Like, why am I getting mad about something somebody else thinks, feels, or believes? Mm-hmm. Why am I so incensed? And I get it. You know, there's, you know, if we don't rally, if we don't protest, if we don't whatever, right? We need to, you know, we think about that and it's, it's so that we can educate or allow people that maybe haven't heard our side allow them to inquire, allow them to take it in, allow them to choose to accept or decline, right? It's not, (laughs) we have to, we have to have some more bendability, flexibility, and pliability, because that's what allows us to reduce our vulnerability, right? If we can't regulate our emotions, we're going to always be in 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 a vulnerable, vulnerable state. And, and I know that was super surface, not very deep, But if we have all of those things, we can truly step into a journey of of cultivating, nurturing, growing, and conditioning a lifestyle that is filled with emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. right? With broadened perspectives, with greater acceptance, with more openness, with more flexibility, right? The more rigid we are, the more more the more we're apt to just break. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, anyway, like I said, I can go on a tangent, right? You're just getting, you're just getting my, my 
this is me, right? Like authentic, <laughs> right? This is the best, the best version of you that I could ask for. Thank you. Um, and I see a lot of, uh, a lot of parallels with that in grief because we each grieve our own way. Right. We all, we all have to learn and recognize and name and be cognizant of the way we grieve and also allow others to grieve in their own way. And knowing that what works for us may or may not work for someone else. And being able to know what we need in our grief, like you were saying, self-regulate, self-soothe. Nobody can do that for us. Right. It's up to us to do that. 100%. Um, how have you seen growth because mm. of your experiences? Oh, so much growth because I was the polar opposite of me, right? Like I kind of talked about how, like I was a very, a very, um, talented alcoholic, for the majority part of my life, right? Uh -huh. And how I was very talented in moving through traumatic situations. Um, but but I didn't talk about, you know, that 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 growth that I've been afforded, right? I was very hot. Like I'm German Irish, Scottish, Sicilian, Taurus, born on the cusp of Gemini. I'm also, you know, somebody who survived a lot of things. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. And so like let me tell you, I could get scrappy with the rest of them. If I was, if, you know, back in the day, if I saw red, you better run. Right. Yeah. Like tailgate me. I'm, I'm slapping my brakes. You want to see my bumper? Let's do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so real knee jerk, real reactive, very rigid, very, it's my way or the highway. Get mm -hmm. on board or get out. Yeah. Set, put myself up on a pedestal holier than that. Like, yeah. Um, so it was really wonderful as we, you know, we were raising the kids and, um, you know, I, my husband has, you know, she showed me a lot of things, right? Like I, again, I survived domestic violence, I, you know, and, and, and emotional abuse, emotional neglect, a lot of things. So I needed to be that way. I think, right. Like I don't regret any of my journey because it made me who I am today, uh -huh. but, but, you know, my husband really, really showed me so many things, right. Like he got me started on this, like, you know, this amazing journey because one, he showed me that true unconditional positive regard exists. <laughs> and that I was worthy of it. And that I, you know, it took me, you know, it, that was a lot of work, right. To allow somebody to give me unconditional positive regard yeah, and, and to see them as not expecting anything in return, except for unconditional positive regard. Right. And, and, and so to be, you know, raising the kids in this and, you know, like, my kids will tell you a lot of my rigidity didn't just disappear, right? Like uh -huh. I learned how to love and be loved um, effectively, but you know, like, you know, in raising them, you know, there, there was, a, there were some rigidities that I wish that I didn't have in there, but, but, but also it kept them safe. They, yeah. they learned how to do a lot of things like my, you know, there were seven of us in the house, man. My kids had doors and they were learning how to do their own laundry at age 10. Right. Like boom, boom, boom. Like there were, so there were some, you know, regimented ways, but there was also a lot of freedom, right? Like I let them, you know, have the autonomy to, to explore who they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And that was with religion, no religion, you know, you know, the things sports, no sports clubs, no clubs, you know, those kinds of things. So, you know, I had, you know, um, a lot of that, but so the growth really came when I saw how much pain and anguish I was causing myself 
by always being in that stance of what I call the judger, right? Mm-hmm. Like just, you know, I get, can you believe that person said that to me? And I would take that and run with it all, all day long, the mental loops, the reels, the, the everything. Yeah. Right? So the, a lot of that growth, I mean, I just kind of moved through my day one hour at a time <laughs> now. So, you know, the process that I started to share with you, right? Like just the very, very, you know, uh, beginning of the transformation and it's why in Evolve, I refer to it as transform, (laughs) right? But it's that beginning piece of that transformation that allows you to step into all of the esteem needs you have and and to invite, you know, to move into a, a space where you get to maintain it lifelong, where it gets to be manageable and maintainable, mm-hmm. but still, but still remain flexible, bendable, pliable, where you get to invite, you know, the people, places, and things to, to experience you in this new way, but also to, you, you get to invite yourself to experience those things in a different way and, and just kind of allow things to be, you know, um, the energy that they are, right? Like we know all things in the universe are energy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so we just got, you know, got to allow things to just, just to be that energy and, and to, you know, work with itself. <laughs> yeah. So beautiful. Thank you. And we can do the same. I'm all about group. So we can do the same right. with our group too. Um, 100%. We can just allow it to be what it is allow it to teach us the things that it has to teach us if it if that Mm -hmm. means I can't do this today great that's where you're at if it means this is teaching me more than I ever thought I would learn fantastic allow it to teach you allow those lessons in yeah Amazing, amazing conversation. Um, I didn't ask at the normally I ask at the start, where can people find you if they want to reach <laughs> out to you and connect with you further? Well, gee, you see my name there in the corner, you could just Google that. But no, just kidding. <laughs> well, not kidding, but but kidding. Um turning leaves L-E-A-V-E-S recovery.com. And in the top right corner, it just says book a conversation. Like I straight up legit just love having conversations with people. We may or may not be a fit, right? But I'm very, very, again, intuitive. And I love to help people get on the right, um, you know, the right path or the right journey that's going to provide insightful transformation for them, right? And, And sure, a lot of times when people reach out to me, yes, like, I, you know, it is a good fit and it is a good, whatever, but sometimes it's not, you know, and and that's fine too. I connected somebody yesterday to, you know, they needed a little bit higher level, right. Uh Um, They needed to, they needed that stabilization period. So, you know, I I gave them a couple of references of people that I know trust like that actually have bed people can go to and stay at and, and, you know, do that deeper stabilizing work. So, you know, it just kind of depends, right? Like what it is, but yeah, just top right corner. You can just book a conversation. I'm down. I'll show up. Awesome. Yeah. So if you're struggling with addiction or addictive behaviors, if that's functional, not functional, going to the external source (laughs) rather than um, paying attention and regulating your own emotions with internal motivation, internal direction reach out to Trisha. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat and to share your journey and your insights with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Like, I'm feeling like I get to go into my day feeling so blessed to just like have been here and, you know, just spreading the word and sharing with people that I maybe wouldn't have been able to touch today. Wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Oh, I don't think so. I think I've just filled you up. 
right? Like I filled y'all up with all kinds of good stuff. No, yes, seriously though, um, no pressure when people, you know, when people set up time with me, just, you know, just do. Um, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not a, I, a really bad salesperson. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I literally just like to, you know, like to hear, um, I love to witness. I love to, to, you know, just observe and feel and take it in and, and just kind of see where it, see where it goes. Awesome. And you also have a podcast. Tell us about that really quickly before we end our mastering the drop, a real view of recovery. Right. And, and Jenny's been on and, um, you know, just, I have people come and we talk about different, different things we need to drop, right? Like it's a real view of recovery, whether it's a habit an addiction a whatever, um, we just talk about, you know, that we also have, um, people come in and share their story, their journey. So you get different perspectives. Um, I think we're on Spotify, Apple, um, and you could, you could find, we are building a podcast page for it on the website as we speak. Nice. Um, so you can, you know, always just poke me and ask for it, but it's also, we usually put the episodes on YouTube. So, um, so they're there also. Wonderful. So just head to the website, turningleavesrecovery.com and you can find it all there. Correct. Yes, yes ma'am. Awesome. It's been another wonderful conversation here on the Share Your Stories series. Thank you for joining us today on this episode of Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time, where we share real-life experiences of converting grief into growth. Just a reminder, we are moving from a weekly to a bi-weekly release schedule with subscription-only content on some of the off-weeks. So be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on exclusive interviews and insights. And if you're struggling with your grief and would like help, I have recently opened enrollment for my program, Converting Grief into Growth. It's an individualized coaching program to support you in and through your grief and or teach you to support others as they do the same. Converting Grief into Growth consists of eight one-to-one sessions that each include a writing prompt and relevant action steps that you can implement immediately. The length of the program is individualized because each journey is different. We all have different losses, different styles of grieving, and different processing speeds. As a result, each journey will be individualized. We will go as fast as possible and as slow as necessary to get you long-lasting and permanent growth. So far, all of my clients have finished the program in four months or less and are still reaping the benefits of their time with me more than a year later. If, however, after two to four months you feel like you still need more time, you can purchase a monthly add-on for continued support. If this is something you'd like to explore further, reach out to me through my website, grievingcoach.com, or send me an email at jenny at grievingcoach.com. We'll schedule a time to chat and see if this is a good fit for you. Until next time, remember that all of our experiences make us who we are, and that we can turn grief into growth. You are known and loved in more ways than you could ever imagine. Your voice matters, so share your story.